Hello, Seattle and Pacific Northwest. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Startup Seattle podcast. At Startup Seattle, we feature leading members of the Pacific Northwest startup ecosystem. We seek to have engaging conversations with founders, investors, and other key players in this community. Hope you find this interesting and support us by sharing with your friends and colleagues. Today, we welcome Laura Malcolm, founder and CEO of Give in Kind, a Seattle-based startup seeking to make an impact on how people help and support each other in times of need. Laura, welcome and thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks, Krish. I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. So tell us what uh, Give in Kind does and why that is important. Absolutely. So we are a marketplace for organizing and sending support through challenging life moments. And we think that uh, everybody is touched by these these challenging moments, uh, ourselves or someone that we know, right? For us, it's everything from new babies to surgery, recovery, illness, grief and loss, these moments that are, are constant throughout our lives, right? And I, I think it's uh, important that we um, create ways for people to uh, come together, rally their communities, show up for one another, um, whether we're uh, near or far from each other. So if you've ever thought about, you know, someone that you care about across the country going through a big moment in life, we've been sort of limited in ways that we can uh, uh, can give that support to them. So we wanted to create a platform that made it really easy to uh, to give those kinds of in-person support, pat on the back, visit, uh, drop off a hot meal that you might give if you were uh, living in the same cul-de-sac as your family uh, to be able to do that from anywhere. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, yeah, people struggle with uh, putting together their own ad hoc solutions like, a, you know, uh, a Google Sheets uh, or email based lists and stuff like that. So uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, this would be a, a really useful thing for people to organize uh, how to support other people. Um, so, Laura, over the last year, thousands of people have needed support. Uh, what stands out when you look back on the impact you've had? Yeah. So the last year, I mean, it's, it's been incredible, right. And in, in, you know, sort of awesome in the sense of the word that it was designed for massive, right. Touching everybody. Um, uh, I think that, you know, what we saw was, um, we saw a recognition from people that these sort of moments, these challenges can, can, uh, well, they can come from out from nowhere, right? The sort of black swan of, you know, hopefully our lifetime and that no one is immune to those challenges. So one of the things that we really saw in the last year was, um, you know, and, and, for better or worse, I think better at the beginning of the pandemic was that we're all in this together. How can we support one another? Um, you know, the outpourings of support that we saw for frontline workers, um, for, for people taking care of healthcare providers, of making sure that members of their own uh, community were fed, were had transport, you know, pickups for prescriptions or things that they needed to be able to stay home because there were a lot of people, right, who were uh, who were and still are extra vulnerable to impacts of the pandemic. So whether they're, uh, you know, um, immunocompromised or even just, you know, living in a multi-generational household, 
And so I think that what we saw was a recognition of how important it is to give those tangible forms of support. You know, people have asked us in the past, well, how is how is given kind different from a GoFundMe, right? Why is it mm-hmm. different from crowdfunding? And the fact is, is that, um, you know, when, when we're faced with the last year, we really saw that like, you know, a GoFundMe isn't going to help my, my grandma stay out of the pharmacy to pick up her prescriptions, right? We need mm-hmm. to come together to help give that tangible support. And so I think what we saw is we had uh, over a million people come to Given Kind in 2020 to find out how, uh, how they could help someone that they cared about. They were there because somebody had an in-kind page and um, they wanted to give support. It was over 10,000 of those pages uh, activated in 2020. Wow. Um, and it was, you know, the, I think one of the things that we really saw too was that life was still happening. It was just very much under different circumstances. So while we saw a growth in pages created um, for people who were under quarantine or who were very sick or whose, you know, entire families were, were impacted from being in the, the hospital with COVID. We saw a lot of pages created for, um, for frontline workers specifically for all of the feed the frontlines campaigns that were happening around the country. But what we really noticed was, um, was the number of pages that were created for the same situations that were still happening, right? We don't, we all sort of felt like our lives stopped a little bit because of COVID, but people's babies were still being born. People were still getting diagnosed with cancer, right? People were still dying of heart attacks. Like, and the way that their, the way that their communities, right, where we would go in, whether we would go and sit with someone or attend a funeral or be by somebody's uh, side, you know, in the waiting room of a hospital, Mm -hmm. we couldn't do that this year. And so they were forced to, to think about ways that you can have that, that same sense of community and camaraderie, um, but find ways to do it more virtually. And I think that that really um, created an additional conversation for us about ways that you can give that kind of practical support, even if you're, if, if you're not on a plane to be next to someone. Right. Absolutely. And uh, did you find that, people came organically to your platform and created pages or did you have to do extra in terms of making people aware that, you know, such a platform existed and make, can make their lives easier? Oh yeah. Well, we did, we, you know, we did both. We, we, you know, we have a, we have a split, a uh, pretty even split right now of people who come in due to our marketing or people who come in, Um, organically. I think that people were looking for more creative ways to be able to, um, to support someone. Um, It's interesting too, when you look at, you know, we track our, our, our own um, viral metrics. And so how many people come in to support someone and then turn around to make a page for someone else, right? That's a, that's an important metric to us. Um, and what we saw, it's really interesting. There's, there's one, uh, there's one real sort of anomaly cohort there. And those are people who came in just before the pandemic, uh, to support someone who then that group of people made pages in March and April and May and June for members of their community at rates that we didn't see in any other month. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I think that once people, 
find us, you know, it's, yeah. we do, we do really get that sort of viral word of mouth. It's the way that these sort of um, the way that that support is spreading anyways, right. Yeah. Within churches, within mom groups. Um, so we see a lot of acquisition that way. I mean, a lot of us have heard about the term or not in <laughs> during the pandemic, right? It's the vital coefficient. So I'm probably, you know, probably are tracking something like that. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind a little bit. Um, so sometime ago, maybe, you know, a few years ago, you realized that the world needed a platform like Given Kind, you know, between that realization and making a real company out of it, I think, you know, it needed conviction, convincing other people to build it with you, some sacrifices along the way, and uh, of course, money. So tell us how you navigated the journey, uh, you know, from the time you conceived the idea to, you know, making a real company out of it. Oh, man. Yeah. And what a journey, uh, what a journey it, it was and, and continues to be. So, you know, we built Given Kind out of a, out of a, deep personal need. Uh, we went through a devastating personal loss and we were living far away. We being my husband and myself living um, far away from our families. We were, uh, I'm a Northwest native, but we were living in, in Los Angeles and my husband's family is on the East coast. And, um, you know, I'd been in product management for 10 years. Uh, I come out of the uh, local listings space. So the internet yellow pages companies, um, and so I was on leave from, you know, a role where I was leading uh, reputation management tools for SMBs, you know, small and medium sized businesses. And, um, and so, you know, we're sitting at home and we have all these friends and family who are trying to triage this help for us, right? Let's, we're going to send them dinner. Uh, who's their local florist? Where, how do we get groceries delivered to them? And the, that year was 2013. And in 2013 in LA, we had Instacart, we had Uber Eats, but nobody else in the country did. Yeah. So nobody else knew about it. And, um, and uh, so I just, I sat there and I thought, and I thought, and then I put pen to paper, there has to be a better way to help connect these people who are looking for businesses in my area who can serve this specific need. Mm -hmm. um, and we were using a tool that now is one of our competitors called MealTrain, um, which is very just, it was a dated technology and it just didn't close the loop for them. It didn't actually solve that problem, which was that they said, we're going to send them dinner on Wednesday night, but like, where do we send it from? What do they actually want? How do we order it? And I thought that we could finish closing that loop. So mm -hmm. like any good product manager before I had even, um, really spoken with anyone because I was grieving, I was wireframing mm -hmm. and I'm building pages and pages in this notebook of drawing literal wires of checkout flows of what happens after somebody clicks, um, uh, you know, I want to help so what happens next. So built out those wires and then, um, and then sat on it for a little while. And then decided that it was time um, to bring Given Kind uh, to market. Was it a way of uh, Was it a way of uh, coping with your grief uh, to uh, you know, jump in and uh, do the design for uh, this product, if you will? I think it partially was. I think it was. I, I also think that there was, you know, some work that needed to be done uh, first, right, mm -hmm. before we could start uh, thinking about taking on other people's grief. 
um, which is a part of what, you know, we now deal with every day at, at, at given kind. Um, I think it was partially also, we had had, had another, we had another baby, you know, and, um, so we had a, an 18 month old and my husband had been working in, he was an art director working on, in big advertising firms for many years. And I think you just, you know, you hit that phase in, in life with small kids, mid thirties and 60 hour work weeks and say, let's, let's trade these 60 hour work weeks for hundred hour work weeks. We didn't <laughs> know. know what we were doing, <laughs> no, but we decided we were going to give it a shot right? we wanted to bring this thing in with our, with my being a, with my background in product and his background in design, mm -hmm. we knew that we could, I think, have as, as good a chance as anyone at bringing a, a platform to market. And, and I think that part of that comes from, uh, you know, a product managers, um, you know, many product managers, uh, you know, sit in such a cross-functional role that I spoke, you know, you know, I say that I speak conversational dev, like, you know, just enough to, right. to get by. I'm technical enough. I'm not a technical PM, but I'm technical enough to write requirements and, and test. And um, so we thought that we could hire a, a dev team and, uh, and bring the first beta of given kind to market. And we started um, uh, interviewing some, uh, some, dev shops or groups, you know, companies we could hire in the, uh, in the U S and quickly realized that, uh, even with, uh, selling our house and putting our life savings into this, that, you know, also knowing that, you know, whatever we were, uh, estimating it would cost to, to build a first version of this, um, since we don't write code would probably, you know, cost three times as much and take three times as long as we're estimating. And so we went, on a whim and we hired a, um, a development team in Chiang Mai, Thailand. My goodness, we, how did you find them, find them all so across the world? The, well, we knew that we had a friend who was uh, living, we sort of a, I think sort of a peak time in this uh, digital nomad community. Uh -huh. And we had a developer friend who was living in Bangkok and sort of touting the cost of living and and the developer culture there and so we started researching and uh found that this city in the north of thailand the second largest city in thailand uh has this incredible family-friendly culture and it has a thriving tech community um because it has a large cs program at a large university there um and that it was a good a good place to go for you know you could go there relatively easy as an american and so we did, we, we sold our house and we packed up an 18 month old and uh, we went and we uh, worked uh, side by side in the office every day with our development team, half of which is still uh, our development team today, mm -hmm. which is just amazing. Um, and, uh, and, we, and we released the beta of, of Given Kind uh, in the fall of 2016, so almost five years ago. Wow, that's that's really a fascinating story. How long were you embedded with that uh, with your dev team in Thailand? Well, it was three months that time, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and then we did uh, two years of of uh, slow growth uh, and sort of chipping away, not really finding product market fit, mm -hmm. um, and then we came to a a crossroads at the end of two thousand eighteen. 
And uh, we had to decide if we were going to keep self-funding. So at this point, we were completely bootstrapping and we're paying the developers. We're paying the developers, working other projects. Um, And now we had two children that we needed to put in daycare. And uh, that childcare expense was the same as our uh, developers. Right. And so we had to choose and we chose, um, we chose developers. And so we uh, pulled two kids again out of the U.S., and went back to Thailand because, uh, you know, I just wanted to release what I felt was like a V1 that I could be really proud of. Um, and uh, we did. So we went for four more months and uh, we came out of beta and we started seeing 20% month over month growth um, uh, as people, you know, really then started to organically come on, uh, come on to given kind. So we knew that we were on to something special uh started you know uh, rekindling conversations with um some early investors that we had talked to um we had enough customers that we needed to be doing some form of customer support and uh being um a 14 hour time difference wasn't going to work and so we um uh needed to be on u.s time zones but couldn't quite afford to come back to the U.S. just yet. So we took the family to Mexico for three months mm-hmm. where uh, we closed our first angel investor checks. Um, I flew back and forth from, uh, from Merida, Mexico in the Yucatan. Um, mm-hmm. And I came back to Seattle for meetings. And um, when we uh, got our first uh, angel investor check, that's uh, when I said, okay, we can go back to the US and I think we can you know, start to take giving kind to its next phase of growth. Wow, uh, I, I think this could easily fill a book and, <laughs> and possibly a, a, a short movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's yeah. been an adventure. Right, right. I mean, you know, that, uh, that really, I mean, this is a topic for another podcast is how the, the US can support, you know, startup entrepreneurs with, um, you know, better child, you know, uh, affordable childcare, healthcare insurance and all that stuff. Right. So that uh, more people can can step in and do take risks uh, along that axis. But that's, uh, that's a wonderful story, uh, Laura. Um, That's, uh, so, so here you are, um, you know, you've, uh, you've uh, effectively, you know, grown the company and uh, uh, you found a great product market fit and uh, 2020 was, uh, looks like it was a great year for you. So now, um, how do you, in your daily work today, given where you are, how do you draw upon this experience, you know, from the last three, four years of, you know, going from here to Thailand, Thailand to the Yucatan Peninsula and back to here? How does that um, help you in your daily work? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I'm incredibly biased, but I I think that anyone who has bootstrapped for a period of time, uh, you know, approaches, um, approaches the next phases of their company in a, in a different way, right? We still, um, uh, operate as a, uh, well, we're pretty, a pretty time agnostic team. So I will say that, you know, we have people, we have people, uh, we have a team in Thailand, we have, um, another development, a small development group in Poland. And so I think that, you know, it's the, it's flexibility, it's, um, creativity, it's, uh, you know, I think that it really set the tone early on, um, that we, 
uh, would do whatever it takes. And I think that that's a, a culture that we um, have really hired for now as our team has grown. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I think there's sort of a difference between a, you know, a fast paced startup and sort of expectations of the startup life or the commitments that it takes to grow a startup right? versus the idea that, you know, we have a team that, that sees um, how much we did sacrifice or, or put into it or the, the, the faith that we had to have, I think. And I think that we just sort of instilled that um, in the company. And I think that we've seen it as it's grown up that it was, you know, that the given kind was, was built because of an incredible amount of, um, of, uh, of faith and yeah. courage and love and, um, and that the impact, right. Every day that we have impact on more and more and more people, it's all, I mean, it was worth it a long time ago, if there's a definition of worth it, right. Like, Absolutely. uh, now those, those returns are just in, in multiple, Right. It almost seems like, you know, you, you, you've built a reservoir of energy uh, and effort um, into the company that there's, uh, y- there's no way but to, you know, keep moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yours is a story-rich environment. Uh, you know, your users are telling stories with their pages, though it might just look like a collection of tasks, you know, to help someone in need. Have you always been a, a, a storyteller? Um, how do you use storytelling effectively? Yeah, uh, I have always been. I have always been a storyteller. Um, I was uh, my late father was a storyteller. He was also an entrepreneur. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think that founders have to have an element of being a storyteller, um, and this is something that I have actually had to work on. I, I consider myself to to be a strong storyteller, although actually reflecting on it in this moment, I think that I am a better um, historical storyteller. Do a really good job, I think, of, of uh, you know, being able to articulate. I consider myself a writer. Um, I think that to be a founder, you have to uh, be able to sort of write that story in advance, right? Like pave the road ahead of you. Yeah articulate what that future is going to look like because you have to share that with uh with employees with you know bringing people onto your team with bringing partners on board uh with bringing investors on board you know painting that picture of what something will look like and so Uh i think that that is is really important one of the best compliments though that somebody gave me about uh given kind in the last year or so was that um, I was making a decision about in, in telling my story and my story and given kind story was how much emphasis was placed on the, you know, the loss that inspired given kind. Mm-hmm. And when I first started pitching it, um, you know, up on a stage at a, you know, whether it's Seattle startup week or, uh, you know, founders live or some event, um, the given kind story very much so anchored on, on mine. And as we made the decision to focus on other people's stories, the compliment I got was given kind, isn't your story anymore. 
it's it's everybody else's story it's all of these people who've been touched it's their stories and i thought that was such a pivotal moment in our company's growth um because it's it's so much bigger than than me it's not that was just the spark right and now it's this fire of of um of people helping other people and the stories that we see every day are so powerful um, of people in, you know, living these, these moments, these good and bad moments um, and the ways that their communities have come around them. And, and um, so, and then we do pull out some of their stories to go and share with others. So, you know, we amplify their stories to be able to tell in the media. We've added more storytelling options throughout the platform. So we added a way for people to journal and share updates with their supporters and really create even more of that community. Um, and so I think that it, you know, I think it weaves its way through throughout all sides of, of our, of our company's story. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I just wanted to also share a personal story. My wife is an artist and uh, over the last year, she has painted around 150 portraits of healthcare and frontline workers. And each one of them has a very distinct and unique story of how they have uh, uh, served during COVID. And um, it's just uh, amazing to see each portrait, um, you know, convey the story of uh, the unique story of each person as they have gone through that, uh, the whole, uh, the process of supporting other people, uh, you know, in the hospitals, uh, you know, in their homes. And it's just like, uh, you know, so amazing to see how uh, one person in this, in this case, uh, my wife, and in your case, your company can be a channel for hundreds of people to convey the stories to the public. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's wonderful. How beautiful. I would love to, uh, see those is there a place that she's sharing those absolutely portraits? yeah yeah uh, it's on up on our website and i'll put it up in the show notes uh, later on so we're talking to laura malcolm of uh, given kind a seattle startup that uh, provides a platform uh, for people to help other people in need we will take a short break and we will be right back We are talking to Laura Malcolm, CEO of Given Kind. And um, Laura, you are, um, as a startup CEO, you know, you cause a lot of things to happen around you. Uh, and a lot of things are happening around you every day, right? I mean, lots of activity. Um, how do you manage to stay focused? How do you manage to find some balance amidst all the hectic activity of being a, a startup CEO? Wow, uh, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I think balance is key, right? And I think that if you had asked me this a year ago, my answer probably would have been very different than it is now, of course, when, you know, I'm also a parent to, to two young children and that has brought its own challenges uh, in the pandemic, of course. Um, I think that, you know, flexibility for me is uh, absolutely the key to keeping focus. Um, I think there's still a lot of hats that, um, that I have to wear. Uh, and I think that that 
that flexes a lot depending on what uh, the needs are um, from the business on me at any given time. So uh, right now, as we're preparing to think about fundraising again, my, um, you know, that's the, almost the entirety of my focus, Mm -hmm. then it will move into recruiting. Um, You know, we're doing, you know, uh, I think there are different projects that I take on. And so sometimes it's going to be, how are we looking at uh, how we're treating uh, goals in the company or what are our marketing initiatives? And so, you know, I think that, um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that focus is one of my strong suits uh, in that sitting and, uh, you know, spending a, a, a block of time, you know, four hours knocking something out. I will never be at inbox zero. That is not uh, something even on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, it, you know, I work to just set uh, goals for myself and, um uh, you know, keeping good, uh, project management or task management, um, tools, uh, a lot of, uh, transparency, um, with my team, um, and then surrounding myself with people who, uh, help, (laughs) help keep me accountable for the things that I am responsible for. Um, you know, good tools. Uh, we are, uh, we're a, a notion, uh, company, which took me a little while to get fully on board with. And now I use it for absolutely everything. Um, and so I think that it's, you know, it's that, that flexibility to, to carve aside the time, uh, when you need it and, uh, you know, uh, the ability to say no to things when uh, you need to have that focus. But I think that um, part of a CEO's job is also to leave that space for the, uh, for the creativity or for jumping in with your team. Um, and so for me, that, um, that works. <laughs> you know, being able to uh, devote, say, you know, four or five hours uh, on a specific project, you know, that's a luxury, but if you can do it and that, if that helps the company move forward uh, and be able to tackle, say, you know, the medium and the long-term objectives, uh, that's uh, a, definitely a blessing. Yep, absolutely. So I want to, you know, talk about um, fundraising. You know, in my analysis, uh, I have found that most startup founders struggle with fundraising. You know, that's uh, one of the challenging and, you know, possibly anxiety-filled time of their journey. So you, I believe, have, you know, been able to manage that uh, relatively successfully over the last two years. So tell us, what is, what is your, what is your secret of uh, your fundraising uh, strategy? Yeah. So we, you know, I, I do feel fortunate that I, I guess, uh, you know, successful would be a, um, that, you know, we can have that attribute. And it was a long time that I didn't know if that was going to be the case. Um, I will give credit where credit is due that I, you know, we participated in the, um, uh, accelerator from the female founders Alliance ready, set, raise, uh, last October. So October of, of 2019, when we raised our first round. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that's a, you know, that was a, a piece of it in that, uh, you know, that really created an opportunity for, um, developing, a framework. And I think you, you know, you take from any program like that, what you put into it, um, but an opportunity to create a framework and, and get some context around fundraising that I don't think that certainly most first-time founders are exposed to. 
uh, or uh, female founders or, or um, uh, founders of color, any, you know, that, that don't sort of fit the typical, well, who gets, you know, 95% of venture capital funding. So who doesn't, you know, the other 5%. Um, and, and so I think that it, you know, people say that uh, when a founder is fundraising, that needs to be the core focus. And it's really hard when you are a, um, you, when you have a small team, when you're a first-time founder, when you're a solo founder, uh, to you know, think about how could you possibly dedicate 100% of your time to fundraising. Um, you, you know, you still have a have a company to run. I think that um, in that case, uh, doing ready set raise uh, forced that focus on fundraising, and allowed me to learn what how fundraising can go if you run a tight process. And so I used that to raise um, another round uh, last May, and I'm using that same process again right now. And um, I think that it is about uh, setting a really tight process. You know, my best success with raising came when um, I did a lot of prep work and uh, I put some really tight deadlines around it on myself. I think that when uh, fundraising unsuccessfully um, comes from casually fundraising or, you know, having conversations and, um, you know, getting a, you know, uh, working on a, iterating on a pitch deck sort of as you go in each of these processes, uh, I uh, build a list um, that is ranked and prioritized for all of my target investors, making sure that they invest um, in our, you know, in our industry. So in our case, do they invest in consumer, in marketplaces? Um, uh, do they invest at our stage? Are, um, are they currently investing? Do they have a, a, you know, a fund with dry powder in it? Have they invested in any of our competitors? Do they invest in uh, companies that could be complementary? Who are the partners? What are their theses? You know, we have, a, I have a very robust investor CRM um, that I use to start with. That's really unusual and insightful uh, because I, I don't think I've, I have, I haven't heard the term investor CRM from any founder that I've met. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it's really helpful, right? I keep good track of notes and, and what people have said along the way, but that's, so that's one piece of it. Mm -hmm. The other is um, the way that I write uh, my pitch. And so I actually write my, um, uh, you know, and so we have multiple decks while fundraising. So I go all the way to the end and I write the script of my full pitch. And I work on writing that whole script first, because what that does without any slides is it allows me to make sure that I um, have a chance to articulate everything that I want to share. Mm -hmm. Let me get all of the points down, make sure that they totally make sense and are sort of cohesive. And then I can pull out the themes. And it's a lot easier to put slides to words than it is to put words to slides. Absolutely. Otherwise, you know, you find you're like saying something that's kind of awkward. And so I do that. I write the whole script and I get feedback on that. And then I get slides and I get feedback on that. And, and the feedback is coming from um, advisors, from our board of advisors, from, um, from investors. You know, in this case, it's coming from angel investors from our first round who I wouldn't, you know, maybe be pitching for our, you know, for our next raise. And so they're giving it that 
you know, the, looking at it through a lens where they're being, you know, they're always being supportive, but, uh, you know, in, in an advisory way. Um, and I iterate and iterate and iterate on that. Then I can cut that down into an introduction blurb, into a teaser deck. Um, uh, I'm also a big fan of, a, of an open investor call. I did it with my first two rounds and I have it scheduled now for my third where I give an opportunity for, um, uh, for uh, you know, an investor who might not have their own diligence team. So all of our angels, for example, to come in and do a lengthy call and give updates and run through our, um, through our model, through our data room, do a Q&A. Um, and by scheduling that for me, that gives me a, a deadline, right? To be sort of ready. And so it's just, I have really learned because we built a lot of momentum with our very first round. And so we set out to raise a $500,000 pre-seed. We closed just under a million and a half um, in about two and a half weeks. And it was that seeing the impact that, that that momentum had in doing multiple pitches at that time and making sure that everybody's questions were answered quickly. And then in doing that investor call where I was able to say like, this is the date and time and all of your questions will be answered. It allowed us to move quickly. And I wanted to replicate that speed in future rounds um, because it's, it's very intense. It's, it's, it's intense in a uh, emotional and physical way that I, um, could not have been prepared for, even if you can sort of, um, you know, you can imagine it that it's, it's hard and it's taxing, but it's, it's really draining. And, um, and so I think that it, the, the, the best that you can do in keeping that process, uh, it is, you know, they say that entrepreneurship is a marathon and not a sprint, but I actually think that fundraising is the sprint within the marathon, yeah. right? <laughs> and so you, you do really have to take care of yourself to get through that, that portion of it. I think uh, there's, there's a lot of insight in there and you can you know, take that into you know, multiple threads. But uh, the thing that I'm uh, taking away from uh, what you've said is, you, know, you've have, you said you know, you're controlling your destiny. You, know, you, are, you have visualized what the process would look like and you're pulling people into that process rather than, other people pulling you away from your goals and requirements. Is that, is that a fair way of saying that? Uh, yeah, it is. I certainly, I, I do, uh, do try to. And so maybe that goes back to that, you know, that storytelling topic, right? If mm -hmm. I write the story and I visualize how this story is going to go, maybe I better my chances um, of being able to insert, you know, insert those pieces of the story to get us uh, to the end that I've, tried to write uh, and, and uh, work backwards to take a piece from a, you know, a methodology here in Seattle. Sure. Uh, you know, you're trying to build momentum uh, for the raise and you have a deadline. How do you uh, manage to be, uh, you know, authentic, realistic, uh, and uh, not come across as, um, you know, uh, not, not come across in, in a way that could impact your fundraising capability? You know, how do you thread that? Yeah, um, I think that it's confidence. I think that there's a difference um, 
and I've, I've said before that, that I think that there's a, a difference in founders where if you go into a process feeling defensible, I think that that to me is, um, is almost the opposite of defensive. Mm. And I think that the absolute best thing that any founder can do. And I, you know, I see this not just in fundraising, right. But with our, with our teams, uh, with our partners, with these sort of big conversations we have is that by being prepared and knowing, and look, I'll, any of, any of our investors will tell you that I'm, I'm probably, uh, in the weeds, um, in my numbers to a fault. I'm a very, (laughs) very metrics focused founder. Uh Um, but it is knowing those numbers and those metrics that makes me feel very defensible in um, the asks that I make, in the numbers that I share. And, and uh, that, I think, gives the confidence that, that um, gives investors and team members and partners, it gives them confidence, right? When you are confident in what you know, they will be confident in you. But if you go at a process feeling defensive, um, then I think that other people read that and it, and it shows in the relationships that you build going forward. And so I think that it's, I think that it's being prepared, knowing your numbers and letting that, that confidence that, you know, that, you know, what you're talking about shine through is, is the best way. Uh, I don't know if uh, what I'm saying is, uh, is, uh, is fair, but I see most founders wait until the very last moment to discuss the financial model. The financial model doesn't come up, you know, until a lot of stuff has been, you know, poured through. Uh, So almost like you could flip the script and say, you know, do the financial model first. I know um, it may not be the right way, but it's, 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 it's a strategy. It is a strategy. I think there is that. Um, I would I would recommend somewhere in the middle. I do exactly what you're saying, but again, to a fault. I do. I tend to lead with uh, with numbers and models, and and I think that uh, to a certain extent, we have to sell our vision. I'm I'm, I'm literally talking to myself here. <laughs> we have to sell our vision, and I think that. Um, that it's that it is a mix there, right? You have to tell that story, um, but then give the give the numbers um, to back it up. And so I think that there's a sweet spot in there, that probably that all of us founders could work on on finding. Absolutely. All right. So tell us about your experience as a as a woman CEO and founder. Have people, you know, been kind to you? What has surprised and shocked you in that role? Yeah, I mean, yes, certainly everyone has been kind. I wonder if, but I think it's in my, it's literally in our name. So they, <laughs> I think, come into the conversation hoping they will be. Um, you know, I, I wonder at times if, if being a, not just a female founder, but a, a female founder in a, um, in a impact or mission driven company um, hasn't led to uh, my, you know, my tendency to lead with metrics. I think that we, um, I think that female founders um, do look at, at, um, at business differently. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately our, you know, well, 
fortunately our our returns are better it's it's proven that that we we drive better business results um unfortunately we still get you know two and a half percent of venture capital funding to female founded teams um then that number has dropped over the last year um so you know is there a chip on uh, you know our and i don't want to speak for all female founders shoulders yes uh, absolutely probably i think one of the one of the other big discrepancies is that um you know we do tend to build businesses uh that um touch women and families mm -hmm. more often right because mm -hmm. we build sort of what we know we see these problems um, but again, women control, what is it? 80% of household spending. Yeah. And so, um, I think that for me, one of the biggest challenges is, um, is people not understanding the scope of my business, um, or many other businesses that are, uh, primarily have, um, audiences that are, uh, you know, touching women or families, um, and so, you know, I think that's one of the biggest gaps, um, for female founders is that there are massive, massive opportunities that just aren't on the radar of the typical, uh, of the typical VC. And I hope, I hope that these conversations are changing as we see, uh, more diversity, um, in the investment community across boards in companies in the C-suite. Um, because I think what we'll start to see, I hope, is better alignment um, in understanding the the massive potential of the companies that female founders are building. I mean, many many people have described you know venture capital and investment as pattern matching, and uh, it's time to or you know the patterns uh, should be broken to be able to accommodate a wide variety of investments. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, what is the most common thing, most popular thing, let's say, that people um, do on the give in kind platform? Yeah, it's so it's really interesting. Uh, it's digital. It's digital gift cards. I mean, far and away, we have uh, seen just incredible, tremendous growth um, with the transaction of digital gift cards. And the reason is, I think it's combination of. I mean, I think this was accelerated by the pandemic, um, but we saw it before, and and we have have absolutely, you know, not, not shifted our business at all, but looked for where to accelerate certain channels um, based on, you know, our users' behavior. And so what we, uh, we did a partnership with another Seattle, another Seattle company here called Tango Card, and they do a lot of B2B and employer rewards, digital gift cards. They're now powering a digital gift card marketplace for us. Um, and, and so we actually allow people within their uh, care calendar is one component of a given kind page. And that's where people say like, there's a new baby. People can, you know, take care of dinner every night for the next month. It's a really nice way to take care of new families. Um, but what ends up happening is that uh, people say, I'll help with dinner on Tuesday. And then in two clicks, they can just send an Uber Eats gift card. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that, that has grown so much. I mean, we see, um, 
we see calendars that are full every day where it's like, I'm sending an Instacart card, I'm sending a Postmates card, but they're specific, right? It is specific needs. And I think that that's, that's the difference in that use case, right? Where again, you know, somebody might ask, well, how is that, how is that different than just sending money? It's psychologically different. It is psychologically And I sent you a $50 Uber Eats for dinner on Wednesday. That just, it just feels different than you sending me money. If I'm a mom with yeah. a, a child in the hospital and you send me a $25 Starbucks card because there's a Starbucks in the lobby of Swedish, mm-hmm. like that just every time I use it, I'm going to know that, that, that you took care of me in that way. And so it's, it's that psychological impact is, is very different from just um, sending money. And so I think that that's been the quickest, most um, effective way that people are um, really activating that support, um, again, from, from anywhere. So low friction, high psychological value and satisfaction. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, so when I um, looked at your LinkedIn profile, uh, I noticed that you had a psychology degree, undergraduate degree. Is that your secret mm-hmm. sauce? <laughs> I actually think so. Uh, and, and it's funny, when I, first, when I first moved into technology in uh, 2007, um, people a- would ask, right, how did a psychology degree lead to product management? And I would say, well, product management is psychology. That is, is what it is. I think that it's, I actually think that a psychology degree is the secret sauce to being a successful product manager. Because when you build something, Right. You are constantly having to think about right now. We call it, uh, you know, all sorts of specialties in user experience. But, you know, and, and I think until there was a user experience designer, there was just a product manager and a designer who tried to build an experience that, you know, would make people uh, use something. So I think that when you're thinking about should this button be orange or should it be purple? that is psychology. When you're thinking about, does somebody want to provide their email address at this point, that is psychology. And so um, uh, I absolutely think that it played a role in, um, in developing my career in tech and, and then in building given kind, um, you know, there's uh, obviously a, a much deeper layer of that because now we're dealing with, um, multiple types of users going through different situations. And so, you know, the, the most common use case is that the person who creates a, an in-kind page is not the person who is going through a situation. It is somebody who is close to them. So now you have a person who wants to help someone is sort of a second degree connection to some sort of challenging moment. They're wanting to help they're making decisions for someone else. And then they're rallying a community of people who are experiencing these feelings of wanting to help. And so it's, it is a very intricate. And when you think about then trying to, you know, design user experience around all of these different uh, personas and situations, it, uh, I, I, I absolutely think that it has, uh, has played a role in how we, how we think about all of those users. Okay. All right. Excellent. So um, let's do a quick lightning round. I'm going to give you, you know, two choices uh, for each and you got to pick one. Okay. 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 Um, tacos or pot thai? Oh man, this is, you're tricking me because so 
I eat a lot of Thai food, but not pad Thai. But we eat tacos multiple days a week in this house. So that's that's tacos. Tacos. Okay. Uh, by the way, I, I didn't know that you, you know, uh, I didn't know your journey into Thailand and Mexico uh, before <laughs> asking that question. So uh, it just happened. Okay. <laughs> Summer or winter? Oh, like? well, summer, I, less summer. I don't have to qualify that. It's just okay. summer. <laughs> summer. Okay. Early mornings or late nights? Oh. Uh, or as late. a startup CEO, like all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's late. It's late night calls with our dev team. Sometimes my husband and I are on separate calls at 1130 PM talking to two different sides of the tech team. Uh, and then we have small children. So it's, it's, it's both. It's, it's both. It's literally both. Okay. Excellent. Uh, so uh, Laura, you've you know, obviously shared a lot uh, with us on this podcast, but um, what is something that people don't know about you and uh, you're okay to share on this podcast? Oh man, this is a, <laughs> this is a fun like, are you, one. Are you a, um, a, a secret member of a rock band or something like that? No. no. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, but I was, uh, here's, a, here's a fun fact, actually. Um, I was a, uh, some people would call a gifted youth. Uh, and there's a program at the University of Washington called the Early Entrance Program uh-huh. that accepts a handful of um, youth ages 12 to uh, 14 uh, for a one-year program before they go into the University of Washington. And I was... Uh, in my, uh, my class, my very small class was Emmett Shearer, the founder of Twitch. And in the year before us was Andrew Chen, who's now at Andreessen Horowitz and both incredible, incredible leaders uh, in the tech community um, who both came out of um, this little program at the University of Washington. I, I joke that I'm a you know, formerly gifted youth, but Excellent. I turned out okay. All right. Okay, the final question uh, for you today, what's one thing you look forward in uh, 2021? Oh, travel. I want to get on a plane. I want to see my team. Uh-huh. Uh, and I want to uh, go anywhere else. I love the Pacific Northwest, but man, I, I'm really looking forward to, um, to getting on a plane and going somewhere. And, and uh, I've never been a hugger, but I'm, I'm ready to hug some, ready to hug some people. So look out networking events might get really awkward as people start running around hugging each other. Wow. On that uh, positive uh, expectation note, uh, thank you, Laura, for coming on to this podcast. And it was a delightful conversation to have with you. And uh, I wish you all the best uh, for you and for Given Kind um, for this year and uh, for the future. Hope uh, we can touch base again, you know, later this year or early next year and see how things are going. Thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks to you for tuning in. We always like to hear feedback from you. You can tweet to us at Carabiner Media One. That is C-A-R-A-B-I-N-E-R-M-E-D-I-A and the number one. You can also send us email at startupfeedback at carabinermedia.com. We hope you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and also rate us in your favorite podcast platform. See you next time.